Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. What's up? And Larry Korea For Crab Clan! Today's episode, Level Up Your Writing. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back to the Writer Dojo. Larry and I are glad to have you back with us today. Today, Larry, this is the final episode of season four. It's kind of nuts. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff going on. Indeed. All right. Now, because it's the last episode, we, you know, the, the previous one we were talking about a little bit more nitty gritty, nuts and bolts of editing. Today, we decided to have a little bit more fun. Uh, Larry and I, if you didn't know, somehow, Larry and I are big gamers. Yeah, we're, we're definitely gamer nerds. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I mean, some of the, the I mean, so, okay. So Larry and I met at a con a long time ago, you know. I interviewed him. We had dinner, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. You interviewed me for, uh, for elitist uh, book reviews. Elitist book reviews. Yeah. yeah. And then the, um, the, the recording got corrupted because my partner at the time was dumb. So, uh, anyway, uh, so we, we met there and then it was pretty shortly thereafter that we ended up in the same game group. And that was really, truly how you and I became friends. Yes. Was because of, of legend of the five rings. Yep. Hence the crab clan at hence the beginning. The, hence the crab clan. Um, I would say unicorn. Well, I, you know, saying unicorn clan, it doesn't. It doesn't have quite the same emphasis as crab clan. You know. You know. It just. Right. It just misses. The mountain does not bend. No. No. Uh, okay. Gaming. Gaming and writers. Gaming and writers specifically. Because there's a lot of overlap. So there's a true story. So many many years ago, this is like probably twelve years ago. I was at a con. And you know how writers tend to congregate in the hallway and, and just shoot the bull. And there was probably a dozen of us. And yeah. ranging from noobs to like pretty experienced old hands, we probably had like five New York Times bestsellers. We're just chilling in the hall. And when people talk about game stuff, and it turned out of this group, uh, everybody was a gamer. And I, I was curious. And I was like, I was like, who here is not a gamer? It was a bunch of sci-fi fantasy writers. One hand went up. One single author was not a gamer. It was Lee Modisette. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> For those of you who know Lee, Lee is a gentleman's scholar. Yeah. Uh, all around great guy. He was too busy researching like Roman legions or something. Well, he was an, he was an, he was an, an economist. Economics. He was an economist <laughs> in Washington, D.C. Uh, before that, in the Navy, he was a, a combat search and rescue pilot in a helicopter. Yeah. Great guy, studying. Oh, a, freaking lovely! Great I haven't guy. seen him in years. But he was the only one. He was the only writer who wasn't a gamer. You know, you know what? The funny thing. Okay, so so I do. Everyone knows at this point now that you know me and video gaming are, are close, close friends. Um, that that's how I relax. That's how I recharge. Um, you know, that's how I de-stress. Oh yeah, I play a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, you do. You do more like. PVP, first-person twitchy games. Yes. Um, I do more role-playing story-based games. Yeah. You know? I, I was World of Tanks competitive yeah. for many years. Your World of Tanks, your Call of Duty. Call I'm, of Duty. I'm, I'm Final Fantasy and Uncharted. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but prior to uh, to being in this Legend of the Five Rings group with Larry, I hadn't really role-played. I hadn't done role-playing games. In fact, I think that might have been my first one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, my how far we've come. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've, we've well and truly descended into that pit of madness, but, uh, so many, there, there, there is so much overlap in reality between what we do as, as authors and, and storytellers 
and the games that we play, the role-playing games that we play. Well, and honestly, it, it feeds into the writing. Um, and we're going to talk about the pros and cons of that because there are some definite cons that you yeah. need to watch out for. Yeah. Uh, but many of us uh, who are, who, who become science fiction and fantasy authors, people who are science fiction and fantasy readers. Yeah. Where do a lot of science fiction and fantasy readers come from? Gaming. Gaming. Yeah. Or it was one or the other first. You started mm-hmm. reading fantasy novels and then you wound up playing D&D. Or you played D&D and then you wound up reading, you know, sort of Shannara and yeah. so on. And, uh, and it's just kind of, it's just kind of, the, the two are very much intertwined. Mm-hmm. They both are hobbies that um, cater to the very literate. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, it, and honestly, it's, it's, so it's not a shock to see so many gamers become writers because gaming is a lot of the same thing. I, in fact, how I've explained gaming to non-nerds um, is collaborative novel writing. Yep. It's collaborative storytelling. There's usually a loose basis of rules, uh, <laughs> depending on what you're playing. But like, so every year I do JoinderCon at my house, right? And yeah. I've talked about this on the show before. And I'll have like 20 gun nuts, like hardcore, super competitive gun nuts. Now, the, the gamers of that, there are still some gamers in there. Actually, mm-hmm. there's probably usually out of 20, there's probably five or six of us that are pretty hardcore, maybe 10 that have played. It's gotten more and more every year. Yeah, but what I do is, so at the last night, I run a big, mega, huge role-playing game for, you know, between 20 and 25 people, which is insane to That's GM, by crazy. the way. Yeah. In fact, I showed Shane Hensley that, the guy that made Savage Worlds, and he's like, dude, you're insane. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I used your game. Um, so... But those people aren't necessarily gamers. Some are, some aren't. But the ones who aren't, how I describe it is think about it as if you're doing a brainstorming session, writing a novel in real time. Yeah. With a group of people. Mm-hmm. It's collaborative storytelling. You're playing a character. And honestly, if you want to get to where you're good at distinct character, writing distinct characters, playing a distinct character is awesome. Especially if you're a good enough role player that you can play against type. And you can play different types of characters and really play them, you know, and that's fun. And actually, I think it really makes you a better writer. I think so too. Uh, you know, I look back at things and, 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 and I've talked pretty frequently about how writing up game fiction and, and, or just writing up scenes from, from the point of view of various characters has made me a better writer. Oh yeah. Um, the, the first character that I played in a role-playing game was, was a complete like pacifist. Um, which is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, very, very talky, very polite, uh, complete pacifist. Like I literally, um, the way my character was built and stuff in, in Legend of the Five Rings, I literally couldn't draw a sword. Like I, I wasn't allowed. Well, you had me for that. I know. I had, I had Larry. <laughs> <clears throat> it's just like real life. I played the muscle. Um, I'm playing against type. <laughs> yeah. But then, Not in that game. But then later on, um, you and I were playing in, a, in an infinity game. And I played a werewolf. You basically played Boyd Crowder from I played, Justified. I played Boyd Crowder Space Werewolf. Yeah, who is a werewolf. Or another time I played Raylan Givens, basically. You did. You did, he did fantasy, fantasy, basically powder mage Raylan Givens. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've done, you know, or, uh, you know, in, in one of the games that our buddy Alan ran for us, I played a bookstore owner. That was probably the most... On brand. Yeah, as I say, that wasn't really a stretch. That one wasn't a stretch. Well, the one where you played, uh, you played Raylan Givens. I played Luther. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, the, uh, basically I was a pirate detective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and gosh, in other games, um, 
you know, you've played, you've played that sort of guy, or you've played a, um, you've played, you've played muscle a few times. You've played a shifty assassin. Well, I play, I, I'm usually the GM. You so played I've, a shark. I've played, oh, I played a shark once. That yeah. really, poor Steve. Yeah, that, was that was actually terrible. one of my favorite characters. Of that all was time. the one, that was the one where I played, uh, I played a legit paladin. Yeah. As if written by Raymond Chandler. You did a hard-boiled detective paladin. Yeah. <sighs> Do you, the, can you guys see where we're going with this though? As far mm-hmm. as like the character growth and stuff. I have several characters from my novels that you guys have read that they were role-playing game characters to begin Absolutely. with. Uh, Jagdish from, uh, from Son of the Black Sword. Yeah. Straight up was a character. Yep. And I, I, I didn't change him at all. No. That guy was the soldier's soldier and it was just awesome. I love it. And, but like just a put upon dude. Uh, Toru Tokugawa from Grimnoir. Straight up out of L5R. Uh, it's Hidemakoto. Yep. From, uh, from, uh, that was actually Steve's bodyguard. Yep. Um, very honorable, angry young man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> a little delusional. Uh, a little idealistic. You know, one of my, one of my favorites, uh, your short story that we based off Tony Badalino's character. Oh yeah. So the great sea beast is a story that I've actually won awards for the story. Mm-hmm. And what it was is, um, I needed to write a story with a giant kaiju monster. And, um. Was this for that Bane big book? Big Book of Monsters I think one? so. And I needed it fast. Yeah. I'd forgot about it. And so I just asked Tony Badalino, who we played with. I was like, hey, Tony, can I write up like what, like your character's life story from our L5R game? Who is basically a drunken archer. But the reason he was a drunken archer is because of his tragic backstory of losing his father to a sea monster that no one else believed in. Yeah. Only this kid believed in the great sea beast. And uh, he hunted down, and his whole mission was to hunt down the great sea beast and regain his honor. And I wrote that story. And yeah. it was fantastic. Well, of course, I, I filed all the serial numbers off and yeah, just moved it to of course. You know, Imperial Japan, which is funny because then I used this, this kid's, uh, that character's kid for my Predator story. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I moved it to, you know, uh, what, 13th, 14th century Japan anyway. I might as well just run with it. It was Man, there. Man, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, it's the same character. They're the same character family. So it's like, and he even references his dad killing the great sea beast. Well, you and I have a story coming out in, uh, in Sean Hazlitt's, uh, Weird Wars 3 China story, uh, anthology. I, from what I understand, that comes out in January. And it is straight up. It's straight up using the characters' names and all from, um, from the Octane Cthulhu campaign that I ran. Yeah. So World War II Cthulhu, and we were playing guys from the 101st Airborne. Mm-hmm. 101st and 87. And, and, uh, yeah. And honestly, we just wrote basically that yeah, part we, of that we, game. We, we took, well, yeah, part of it was the, them and, and, or we referenced pieces of that game, but we took that platoon, or that platoon, that, that group. And we, we, the whole idea is that they're out of time. They're in, in different periods of, of war-torn yeah. timelines. Yeah. Linear time has been broken for these dudes. It doesn't matter. You know, they're, they're going around time to time hunting down eldritch beasts and they just happen to be in China for this one. Yeah. I was Sergeant Kane Ho. Yeah. I mean, it it was literally all those characters plus one, um, who was a red shirt of of a, of a, a good buddy of mine named Tim Mock. Um, he's, he's Chinese and the story was in China. So I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I'll just add in, I'll just add in my buddy as a red shirt. Um, cause I always, I always put my friends in my books Oh yeah, and so in my stories. And so, you know, we did that, um, man, Larry and I had a blast writing that story. Uh, but it's, it wasn't just us looking at the, you know, at the game we played and saying, cool, 
we played this session. How do we novelize this session? Yeah, that's the downside. That's yeah. what you don't want. We've all read that fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. We have all read a fantasy novel where we read it and you just straight up, this dude took his D&D session, warts and all, and wrote it down. Yeah. And it feels like it. Uh-huh. And it reads like it. And I'm not talking about game lit. Okay, it's a totally different thing here. I'm no, that's radically different. Radically different. There's a different thing. But I'm talking about somebody just took their D&D game and they wrote it down. And it feels like, and does that normally just, it, it doesn't feel immersive. No. And it tends to feel amateur. You know, I, I think there's a lot of the the early, uh, like, Forgotten Realms novels that... I read so many of those in oh, high I school. Oh, I did too. And and a lot of them are great, you yeah. know? I mean, you know, even even the ones that, that I wouldn't consider my favorites, um, I, I can look back and I can I can say I learned something from them. Um, or, you know, I mean, guys like, like Bob, like Ari Salvatore, Bob Salvatore. You know, you, you read his stuff and you're like, dude, you know exactly what you're doing he's when you writer. write action. Yeah. He's like, you know writer. exactly what you're doing. Um, I mean, and he, I mean, he almost single-handedly created the whole world of tie-in fiction himself. But some people do it really well. And then there's others where you read those stories and you go, man, if I, I'm pretty sure that in the background, I'm hearing that D20 being rolled. Yeah. Now, the key is take the good story elements. And this a lot of times it's, it's fun story elements you came up with on the fly. That's the best kind, the spontaneous ones. Take those good bits. The discovery ones? Uh, yeah, Sucka. Well, it, comes from, it all comes from something. Yeah, you got to discover even the outline at some point. <laughs> but take all those good bits and then gel them into a cohesive new thing. Yeah. Don't just, don't just reskin your D&D game. Just take the good bits and feed that into the grind, into the story grinder. Yeah. You know, one of my, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite authors, uh, no surprise, Steven Erickson. Um, oddly enough, that series came about through role-playing. Him and, him and his buddy Cameron Esselmont, they, they, you know, they were both anthropologists and stuff. And so they have a, a really good understanding of human history and human nature, Right. And so uh, it's how civilizations are, are created and then fall and how they interact with each other. And so they, they, they're out on digs and stuff all the time and, and they, to pass time, that's what they did. They role-played in this world that they created together, which happens to be the models and Book of the Fallen. When you read the first book, you can, sit, you can tell. You can totally tell. Um, you're reading through and you're going, oh, dang, uh, pretty sure you guys are rolling some dice behind the scenes on this page but then as time goes on they get away from that because they do what you just said larry they're talking about um what are the cool things that happened what are the cool characters what are these weird spontaneous story like hooks that really grab people and they they just like grabbed onto those and 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 really did a deep dive on those to actually create the immersive world that feels human and natural. But not everyone can do that. I mean, I'm not Steven Erickson. So I'm curious, Larry, you've written, you've written one or two novels now. One or two. And, uh, dozen. Yeah. I'm curious as to, um, some of the stuff that you've learned from role-playing that you've integrated into, your writing from gaming that you've integrated into your writing. 
characters doing unexpected things. In what way? And, and people saying things that like you yourself wouldn't think of. So like when I'm GMing, it's a lot like writing a book, right? And that I'm the master of this universe. Uh-huh. And I've set out where I think it's going to go. And I, I've provided tools for you guys to use or tools for my characters to use. And my players will all of a sudden then do something that I'm like, what? And it takes me by surprise. But a lot of times what you guys would come up with that I never thought of in a million years was good. And so honestly, the biggest takeaway I could think would honestly take was flexibility, mm. story flexibility and flowing with it. Cause you guys would do, and cause I honestly, guys, I'm spoiled too. I got a good bunch of role players. Not yeah. that we've played for like six months hardly at all. Yeah. Holy crap. Life gets in the way, but I got it. Usually a good crew. It's mostly writers mm-hmm. and you guys are all super creative. And so you guys would do stuff that I just didn't see coming. I've tried to take some of that stuff and that spontaneity and that some of the truthfulness to the character to my own books, because sometimes I'll be writing something and the character, what I had planned originally, what I had outlined originally, was not what they would do, you know? And then you run with that. I think one of the the, the lessons I learned, and this came back with, uh, shocker, one of our L5R campaigns. There was this one time where we went into, um, it was basically a city of the damned sort of scenario. Okay. It was taken over by, by Japanese demons only. Okay. And this was, um, this was when, um, you know, our, our late friend Zach was in the group. Okay. And I was playing the murder assassin. And he was Shintaro. He was like Mr. Honorable, like Andy Griffith. Farmer Samurai. Yeah. So we go there, we have this scene, we're all having a good time. It's fine. Afterwards. Because we got extra XP if we wrote up game fiction. And we were all writers, so of course we all did it. So I write up this scene <clears throat> from my, my character's point of view. And it's like dark, dark, dark. Like all dark. Yep, I remember this. You know, you know, you know the... Well, I, I ran a horror session. The darkness of an inside of a coffin on a moonless night. Yeah. You know, it to was, you know it Beverly was, Hills Ninja. These guys were just fighting demons and then in a haunted city. I send mine out. To, to the group. And everyone's like, dang, yeah, that's how it was. And then Zach sends his out. Exact same scenes, exact same thing, but it's like straight out of a buddy cop movie. Like it's, it's pure humor. And there's something about it. I mean, it, it wasn't off brand. It was no. perfect. And, and especially when you compared the two pieces together, like the whole group just lost their minds collectively over it. We were like, no freaking way. You could not have scripted this better. Yeah. It was, it was all about character perspective. Character perspective. And his was funny and goofy. Same exact scenes. But it was like, it was like almost Laurel and Hardy. Uh, it, was like, it was like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And mine was... I mean, everything the R-rated was rated horror of Frankenstein. Yeah. Know? I mean, it was bad. <clears throat> so what I learned, um, is that it, it's that, it's that matter of perspective from character to character. You can have the same scene. You can, you can see, um, all these different variety of characters can be enveloped within the same scene and yet have radically different perspectives on it and radically different reactions to it. And by taking that, it's really helped me in my writing, Larry, because I can look at things in, in our previous episode, we were talking about editing 
and I can look at at an episode or I can look at a at a scene and I can say, okay, well, this character should be seen it differently than this character who's seen it this way, and I can write those perspectives in, and it feels different and it feels fresh. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to delve into it and we're going to talk about some of the things that perhaps you shouldn't do. We'll be right back. Hello, Word Mercenaries. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., host of the Novel Marketing Podcast, here to bring you Book Marketing Commandment number 10, Thou Shalt Not Be False to Thine Own Brand. Your brand is not a photo, logo, genre, or collection of fonts. Your brand is the story you tell about yourself and, more importantly, it is the story your readers tell about you. The old word for brand is reputation. While you may write many books in your career, you only get one reputation. And while it takes a lifetime to build a reputation, it only takes one stupid mistake to destroy one. As you make promises to your reader, remember that your reader expects you to keep those promises. To learn more about how to build your author brand, listen to my podcast, Novel Marketing, available at www.novelmarketing.com and everywhere podcasts can be found. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, top half of the episode, we talked about some of the things that we've learned, how we've implemented, um, some of the examples of, you know, of where we've actually done and taken uh, our, our gaming and used it in in our fiction. I've done this a lot. You've done a lot. I mean, I mean, really, in reality, servants of or servants of war comes from this same mindset. It does because it was originally we we played War Machine and mm-hmm. we had a War Machine campaign we played. And originally that was going to be a war machine project. Yeah. And that, that fell apart. And then years later we took the outline and scrubbed the serial numbers off. Made it much, much better. Oh yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that that's maybe one of the observations that we can take. Um, just because you, you had a great story within a, within a game session doesn't mean that you shouldn't move pieces around perhaps adapt it to your own games have constraints. Um, your fiction and your world doesn't necessarily have those same constraints. You have more freedom. Yeah. A lot of times when you read a lot of these stories that are obviously clearly ham fisted, lifted from role-playing games, you can tell what game world it came out of. Yeah. So right off the bat, you got to scrap that. Mm-hmm. Right? If you had a cool scenario, cool characters, cool interaction, cool story, and it's your story, you, you need to distance it enough from where it comes from that it's not just like, this is just clearly somebody wrote down their, their Forgotten Realms campaign, and I can tell it's Forgotten Realms. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you need to tweak it enough. Or this clearly, they were playing Deadlands. Yeah. And, and this clearly, this is straight up, this is just Deadlands. Okay? So make the world your own. All right, scrub off the serial numbers that you need to do. A lot of times it doesn't even need to be the entire story. Mm-mm. It's just bits, scenes. That's where I think the real value is. Do you remember, okay, so Son of the Black Sword, that's a series that has like won all the awards and got all the prestige and only thing I've ever written that is actually critically acclaimed. Here's a scene in the uh, second book where they're having a play in the Capitol and oh, it's no. about black-hearted Ashok and his many crimes against the first cast. Yeah. Okay, so we actually, that came from a role-playing game. But yeah. not. But when we did the role-playing game, it was totally different. And <laughs> what it was is that we had played, 
Steve's laughing because this was actually one of the best things I've ever done as a GM. We took in the so we took I took the, some of the ma- one of the major pivotal battles from our first campaign, and because we were playing a, a, a sequel campaign that was set like twenty five years later, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and with totally different characters, totally different situation. Well, at one point they go into this other kingdom that is was where this other event had happened, and there's a play. There's a very in the play that I'm putting on for, and these guys are here watching it. Is all of our characters from the first game only told from the perspective of one of the guys who, uh, and so it was like they had these different clans, as in like some of the black sword, there's great houses. Yeah. Uh, so one of the great houses slash clan, it was from their perspective. So like my character was just idiot comic relief, it was just this big yeah. fat dumb guy who's blundering around lost. Yeah. <laughs> and Steve's character from that was like the most heroic dude ever. I was like all muscle bound. And, and like huge, he, he was like saving the day. But what we did was, I think I, I think I came in on a rope, like I swung in. My guy just wandered around, lost, oh. and it was totally opposite of what really happened. But it's twenty five years later, it's all propaganda. But I took that idea of of having a play put on that was just pure propaganda about political events from a very skewed source, and I used that. And it was, mine was way darker because it was about a crime, well, right? Yeah. But it was basically took an event where it was like a scene from this fantasy novel that like a year later was being turned into what was basically a horror movie, right? To terrify this group of people. And uh, it was, it, it was just interesting, but that's just that little nugget of idea. And we just came up with that organically. I remember you guys laughed your butts. Like that one was so funny. Cause I just took every single character and like had the most screwed up propaganda version of them ever. Yeah. <laughs> Our big pivotal final battle. Oh man. <laughs> You know, there, there's, I mean, Larry and I have been role-playing together for a decade, more than a decade. Yeah. I mean, 12, 13 years now. And within, uh, 25 minutes, we, we've talked about, oh, half a dozen, dozen different ways in which we've used it. That's like one a year. Okay. Like <laughs> it's not, the, the, the times in which we've been able to successfully pilfer from our own um, adventures in gaming is much, much less than the actual amount of gaming that we've done. So what that means is there are a lot of scenarios where we've just said, nah, nah, there's, there's no reason to game up or yeah. to, to fiction up this game that we play. No, because it doesn't fit with what you're writing where it is useful is we've talked about sharp sharpening the saw, refilling the bucket, yeah, part of time management. And so for a lot of writers, that creative outlet that's not playing in your world is uh, is a valuable thing. I mean, on that note, people like like ask me, he's like, hey, Larry, there's multiple Monster Hunter International role playing games. Have you ever do you, do you play? That? I was like, no, I don't because no, Monster that's Hunter work for you. Yeah, Monster Hunter International is my job. That's what I do all day. Mm-hmm. So the idea of me role playing MHI. To get away, oh man! I mean, I do it for charity games and stuff at cons and that kind of yeah, thing. Totally different. different. But the other thing too is I can't just relax and play that because what happens is I'm playing it, and then the other players at the table are all looking at me like, "Is that correct?" Yeah, <laughs> sure it is. It's whatever you want it to be. Um, yeah. but so so I I don't so but there, I think the most valuable thing is actually the fill in the bucket. Mm-hmm. It's a creative endeavor. It's collaborative storytelling. There's no pressure. Uh, there's no drafts. There's no editing. Yeah, it's just go have fun. Have fun with your friends. All right. Let's talk about some of the ways in which um, 
we can screw this up. Mm. So well, we've talked about the bad. We've talked about the bad, bad, bad. The bad adaptations. There, there are a few things that that I think we do want to be wary of, and and you hinted at this in one, and that's where, as you're reading a story, you can kind of tell that it came from a game world. Be very, very careful with that. Those game worlds, uh, they'll sue you. Oh yeah, you need to make sure that you can clearly demonstrate that your world is your world. Mm-hmm. And 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 yeah, guys, it's fantasy world. There, there's no reason to use somebody else's. Mm-hmm. Unless they're paying you to. Yeah, when we say file, yeah, yeah, that's true. When we say file the serial numbers off, I mean, I'm meaning this quite literally. Are there some stuff that you're fine with? Like, so if I take from one specific fantasy world that's inspired by Russian mythology and Slavic mythology, I can keep the Slavic mythology. You know, no one owns Slavic mythology right. other than, you know, the Slavs. <laughs> okay. And, and my grandma's Polish. I'm good to go. <laughs> Well, you know, um, when I was at Gen and Con, Lithuanian and Ukrainian, so yeah, yeah. I got, and, I got and some German, and so um, last year at Gen Con, I was having a conversation with the guys from uh, Rogues in the House podcast, and we were all chatting. And in the middle of that podcast, I was talking. To, they, they asked me about what what Servants of War was about, so I started talking about. It. I'm like, yeah, you know, trench warfare fantasy, but it's super horror. It's like you know, The Witcher meets 1917, dark fairy tale world, blah blah blah. And I'm talking about it. And off to my left, this dude's eyes get really, really big in a good way. Um, not like he's getting eaten or anything. So he, like the, the moderators for, for the discussion, they kind of look at me and they look at him and they start laughing and they go, they go, Steve, this guy, this guy right here, um, he actually writes for a game that does some of that. I'm like, no way. And obviously my, my interest was immediately peaked. It's called, uh, it's called never going home. Oh, um, I have all the books oh, somewhere cool. over here. We're in Steve's office. Um, and it's, so it's, it's like, uh, it's basically weird wars one. Cool. Uh, very, very minimalistic, super good. The art's really cool for it. I love the game. They just did a Kickstarter for, um, an edition. Uh, anyway, so as we were talking, um, pretty much all of those guys, uh, went out and read servants of war and loved it. Um, and so, and, and, you know, I've seen the game and I love the game. And so it's, it's just this nice, um, we found this like nice middle ground of, we all love each other's stuff. We love that there's some similarities there. Yeah. That's fun. But they're not, their system isn't our book and our book isn't their system. No. Cause we're all drawing upon different ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all influenced by everything. That's why we all get offended when some company, all creative people get offended when some company gets too big for its britches and tries to, to like trademark some thing that's like totally normal and been used forever. I'm trademarking the word fantasy. Space Marines. Yeah. Mm, are you now? Because <laughs> because we can find books back to like well, like when somebody looks at like 1907 or something where where people have been using that trope. Yeah. I mean, Marines go on ships, ships go in space, space Marines. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a big jump tra- here, dude. We're trademarking hit points. Yeah. Oh, that's, that is one danger is when you're writing action scenes. Remember we talked about this in the, uh, we talked about this in the writing action one. In real life, human beings don't have hit points. No, we don't. We have blood pressure. I was going to say we have, we have arteries. Yeah. So, so when you're, when you're taking your, <laughs> your fights over your action sequences over, keep that one in mind, guys. You know, honestly, the biggest thing is just, it's just 
it's a, it's an idea garden. We've talked on the show about the idea garden before. Gaming is a fertile field. Yeah. You know, there's stuff that we've had in games that I have not used in a book, but <sighs> I will. I guarantee there are bits. I have not found the appropriate bit. I have no idea what world is going to... Do you remember that one we were doing a gladiator one-off? Oh, yeah. And and me and Pat were uh, gladiators. Yeah. And I was the horse racing guy, and he was yeah. the chariot ra- chariot guy. Yeah. And Pat died during the race. But you... And I was going to win. Yeah. So I stopped and picked up his body. I know. And put it on my saddle and carried him across the line so he'd finish it. So I lost, but I, he finished his last race. Yeah, it turns out winning wasn't a good thing in that campaign. No, actually, it just got worse and worse. Yeah, because I won that one. Yeah, you did. Quote, unquote, one. That was, well, guys, that was uh, Roman Gladiators with Cthulhu is what that one was. Um, So Steve won. Yeah. The Iberian survived. I'm just saying that. The Iberian always survives. But I'm going to use that, that, the scene where a guy died, or competitors, and one dude dies in the race, and the other dude stops and picks him up to carry his corpse across the the finish line. That's going in a book at some point. I don't know when or where. That's too cool not to. Well, I mean... we played, we played a an, an alien game um, last October. Oh my gosh, that was one of the best games I've ever run. And at some point in time, we could take the the broad strokes of that that game and turn it into a novella or something. I straight up, we I could take the, that was one. Okay, so usually guys. You can't translate stuff over directly because the timing, the pacing, the character building, the world building. It just doesn't fit the novel format yeah. in a way that readers enjoy, right? This one did. Like this we one straight could, up. No, I mean, obviously, there's a couple things. I have to edit some stuff. <clears throat> yeah, but this I I guarantee though, this Aliens game we ran was better than Aliens three, four, Prometheus, and whatever that other one was. Yeah, those, are, <laughs> those are low bars. If we had just turned that into a script as it stood. Better and it was paced better, and that was actually one of the best my my top moments as a GM ever. Because rarely do you have a thing that would, I, that would have been a two hour movie. Oh yeah, and would have been perfect. Yeah, absolutely perfect. Yeah, I mean, twenty characters. Yeah, but you know, it, it's those don't come about that often. That's not the I'm going to say twenty characters. That was the twenty characters I ran for my group of six novelists. Oh man, not the one I ran for twenty gun nuts. That was a little more chaotic. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it, and that's it didn't, more what normal it, our, yeah, our games are. It, it didn't work near as well. Well, no, in that one, it was 20, still fun. Well, it was twenty sunburned, tired gun nuts after four days of hardcore training. Yeah, we were all incoherent. I was lucky. I'm lucky just to keep people, you know, awake. Awake. <laughs> I'll take it. I think. I think what's interesting to me about all this, um, I, I want to touch back on on what you said about the idea garden. I think that that is probably the best single use of your gaming. Um, you know, you have a garden, um, you have a tree, okay, a fruit tree, say an apple tree. Um, it, it sprouts up. Not every piece of fruit on that tree is good. Some of them fall off and they rot because, you know, that just happens. Some of them get eaten by birds. Some of them get eaten by worms. Not every single piece of fruit from that tree is good. But some of them are. And some of them, you know, you're not just taking, if I, I'm just, I'm going to torture the crap out of this metaphor. Yeah. Just be ready. That's what metaphors are for. <clears throat> I'm going to torture it to, you know, that, that's what we do in Steve's basement. We torture things. So we, you know, you, you can take that piece of fruit and you can just eat it straight up. It's pretty good. Or you can turn it into apple pie and it's better. 
Okay. That's, I think for me, that's what the gaming does. It allows me to see other people be creative in their way. It allows me to see things from other points of view, the way other people do. And, and it allows me to play against type unless I happen to be typecast as a shifty rogue character in every role-playing game I play, because that seems to happen to me. Or pseudo Russian tough guy for some reason. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Um, the thing is playing against type, what a valuable skill set to have as a writer. Absolutely. Because we've talked on the show before, what is like some of the worst thing about woke fiction and message fiction? It's all the same. Well, it's because everybody who's good thinks what I think. Everybody who's bad is, everybody who thinks different than me is bad and dumb and they're stereotypes. And it leads uh, to weak writing. Remember the game that we played uh, in the car to uh, uh, World Fantasy in 2011? Yeah. Okay. That was a fun game. It was Warhammer Fantasy. 12 hours in a car. 12 hours in a car, well, 12 hours back. No, it's like um, a 24-hour role-playing game. Yeah, and and um, this is one of the cases where um, fate typecast me. Um, I random rolled twice and got the exact same character both times. Shifty rogue. Gosh dang it. But, you know, you know, you played a very different character. Um, the, the girl who was with us, Julie Wright, she played this, like, rat catcher. Like, she was hilarious. But we, but we played it... Like we were characters in Burn Notice. Yeah, because it, it turned out, because, you know, Warhammer Fantasy, you expect it to be a lot of hack and slash and, yeah. and blood and guts. No, no, we were Burn Notice. We yeah. were straight up. We were solving weird problems. We were con men, basically. Yeah. We never fought anything until the very, very end uh-huh. when I got to jump on somebody and whacked him with an axe. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the extent of our combat. Yeah, the rest of the time we were like conning shops out of money. We lied, cheated, and stealed. Yeah. For 24 hours. But, you know, how valuable was that though? I mean, seeing, you know, doing things in a world out of character, you know, again, Warhammer fantasy, you're like, okay, so when's the Nurgle beast going to come and eat me? Oh man, we avoided the Nurgle beasts. Oh no, no, no. We were, we were too busy conning people with our rat catching schemes. But, but the thing is by doing something, by playing something like that, no, I mean, will I turn that into a story? No. I won't. No. But playing a different type of character against the expectations of the world that we're playing in is a really interesting thought process. Well, and because the world can change entirely. So Dead Six, people don't realize Lorenzo, my character I wrote in Dead Six, was based on a rogue from a D&D Forgotten Realms campaign. Yeah. And people don't realize that. I mean, he's like straight up, it was straight, because, because I was, that was the one that I wrote live over the summer where Mike was right a thousand words and I'd write a thousand right, words and we did right. a serial thing on the internet. Uh, so I needed, I needed a fully fleshed out character ready to roll like on the fly. And so I grabbed a character that I played, um, and his, his name was Ozzy <laughs> and, uh, he, and, but that turned, that, that was actually one of his aliases. That was one of Lorenzo's aliases in dead six. Um, and he was just a rogue. He was a malicious rogue character and I played mm-hmm. the crap out of him. And, and, but that's how I ran it. And that's how I wrote it in the book. But it's totally, totally thousand percent different story and different setting. But it was just a f- completely fleshed out character ready to roll with thoughts, feelings, opinions, uh, anger management issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I hope guys, what you're, what you're hearing here is the idea of 
of, you know, doing role-playing games, doing all that, having your fun with it, but using them as, as tools, as we always say, using it as a tool in which you can learn and progress as an author, whether it's through gathering of ideas or it's for, um, changing how your characters behave, seeing how two different characters in the exact same situation can view the events with polar opposite um, intent um, or with, with completely different reactions. So anyway, well, that's it, Larry. That's the end of season four. Wow. That's, that's all crazy, we got. guys. Four seasons. We've been basically doing this for almost two years. We're coming up on our 100th episode. 100th episode. I think this is episode 96 or something like that. Yeah, so we'll probably record episode 100 at LibertyCon. Yeah. I mean, we'll have producer Jack there. So maybe we'll just, we'll do a, a 100th episode recap with, with three Don't we have a panel? We are going to have a, a Writer Dojo Live panel there. Maybe that's what we should have as our 100th episode. We could, yeah. Yeah? Might as well. That's crazy. All right. Well, um, to all of you listeners out there, thank you so much for sticking with us for four whole seasons of us gabbing about whatever the crap we gab about crab clan apparently. crab clan and definitely not unicorn clan it just doesn't just doesn't have the same gravitas so uh thank you guys so much we appreciate all of you uh this is the writer dojo and we'll see you in season five writer dojo is steve diamond and larry korea Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. And it's like dark, dark, dark. Like all dark. Yep, I remember this. You know, dark, dark, dark.